0: Hi, it's Richard here from Short Films Teacher's Love, just trying to work out what to do with the extra good bits that don't make the cut of a half-hour edit. This one goes out to James, who tells me that he likes to listen to long things in his car on a a regular trip that he has. So, um, James, here's a 56-minute version of the latest episode with Sid Verma. I hope
1: you enjoy it. When you find something that moves you, you will find means and ways to solve that problem. And the jobs of the future are not going to be about how much you know. It's about how are you going to use the knowledge that you have to have an impact on the society.
0: Sid Verma is an entrepreneur and founder of a new organization called BrainSTEM. Brainstem is a global STEM collaboration platform which connects high school students with universities and industry around Australia. Quite simply, it gets school kids working on a real world problem for 12 weeks with support from techies in the field. I was lucky enough to get along to the final presentation of the student's work at the end of 2017, but this is a conversation I recorded with Sid about the whole thing, and of course three short films that give more context to what makes him tick. Stick around to listen to a man doing great things for the next generation of science and technology innovators. The best short films for lifelong learning are recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love with your host, Richard Lee.
1: First of all, thank you so much for the, for the opportunity to be a part of the conversation. I, I, I joke about it, but I say that you know everybody should have a world domination idea. Um, Brainstem is my world domination idea, and, and uh, the, the mission is to build a global STEM collaboration platform so that high school students from all over the world are inspired to think and innovate um, by solving real-world problems that matter to them. Uh, And we do this by by delivering and engaging uh, practical opportunities for students to explore. Um, And, you know, that builds the change makers of the next generation and encourage them, you know, to pursue innovation. Um, It's done through the Brainstorm Innovation Challenge. um, And we are in the process of launching a whole lot of new programs for girls, for students in regional Australia, uh, in other parts of the world and uh, it's it's an absolute uh, pleasure to see how people have come on board to support us in in our mission and to see the program grow over the last couple of years
0: so i'm a i'm a teacher in a secondary school for example tell me how you know i can get involved or how i can get my students involved in in what you do how does how does that work
1: so given that the brainstem program is fairly young, um, at the moment, it's, it's largely through us being able to access our own network. But if you are a secondary school teacher or a high school teacher, um, my, my view of your world uh, as somebody from the industry is that you, and I'm assuming you are a science teacher, uh, my view of the world is that you are already strapped for resources and time in terms of being, you know, teaching, setting up the answer sheets and exams and questions and this that, and everything else. Whereas these your students are living in a world which is overloaded with information. And when they come up to you with ideas of, uh, whether it's robotics or science or chemistry or AI or machine learning or any of those sort of things, um, There has to be a way or means for them to access that sort of uh, learning or mentoring or information. Uh, You as a teacher are strapped for time and resources. You might have the will and drive to do it for them, but you're not able to. BrainSTEM is that program which connects these high school students with scientists in universities, uh, with people in the industry who are working in these respective fields. And like I said, we do this with the, with the innovation challenge. And in, in the most simplistic form, it's a team of four students that work in a team, and we pair them up with a mentor, which is a scientist or industry mentor. The best way to get in touch with us is through our website, brainstem.org.au. And uh, get onto the contact us page, and somebody from our amazing team of volunteers will get in touch with you and get you onto the program. Of
0: course. Fantastic. Well, we'll put that pitch in at the end. That'd be fantastic. Um, it's uh, it's funny, you know. I was uh, just a few weeks ago. I went to my thirty year reunion of of year twelve from my high school, and um, you know, there's a lot that you look back and you go, "Gee, education has changed so much since when I was at school." Um, but one of my friends highlighted how one of one of the uh, surprising things that school does for you is actually um, give you a moment in your life, a time when you can connect with other people. I had a look at some of the, the promo material of of Brainstem and the thing that stood out for me was that, you know, one kid said, I really like this re- researcher, they're a really nice guy or this person, I really found this person a good mentor and, and I thought what a what a great idea it is of of what you're doing because it's connecting people with people you know so many of us learn because we connect with people we have a good experience when we spend time with people you know I'm into maths and science but I think largely because of my um, admiration for the teachers that taught me those subjects so do you think that's a big part of what you're doing what STEM is about
1: Absolutely. And uh, I'll give you uh, a couple of different stories. So the first one is, you know, when I, when I, I mentor some PhD students in, in universities and obviously, you know, with uh, students in, in the brainstem program. But one thing that I actively advocate is the, is the fact that you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And we as humans go out and seek those people to make that circle of five. Sometimes by default, because they are our friends or our family, and we sort of laugh like them, we think like them, we talk like them, and you know that becomes our comfort zone. But to get ahead in life in, in whatever field you choose to be in, I actively encourage people to go and find those four or five other people who are doing extremely well in those respective areas. And then that becomes your circle of five, and then you start thinking, behaving, talking, learning um, from them, and then that makes you grow the The reason, uh, and this probably goes back a little bit into into why brainstem or how Brainstem started. Uh, the reason why you know we found value in what Brainstem uh, is doing now is it, it began in 2009 when uh, my son, who is now in his VCE this year, he's in year 12 now. I think his exams start this week. Um, uh, he took part in the school science competition, and uh, it was one of those, you know, uh, the, the STAV uh, competitions. He took part in that competition, won the school competition, won the regional, lands up at the state competition, wins that one in the engineering category. And so we were like, oh, this is a little bit more than just a, a, a general science kid. Uh, and his project was uh, came out of a personal story for him because we had gone to India for holidays back in 2008. And he had met his great-grandfather, who was 92 years old at the time. Uh, they spent a bit of time together, had a very strong bond. And when we came back, uh, Drew, my son, he heard the news that uh, you know his great-grandfather had fallen down at home. And for about six hours, no one got to him, uh, who was living independently. And uh, he had fractured his pelvis. And long story short, in three months' uh, time, he passed away. And so for Drew, it was like, you know, in a country of a billion people, you know, in a city of over 200 million people, when you are meant to be the safest in your own home is when you are the most helpless. So why wasn't there a way to get insight into when someone needs help, can the information be accessed or, you know, an alert goes off to a family member. So his kit was or his solution was Protego, which is proactive technology for elderly on the go. So that, uh, you know, active RFID networks and um, uh, mesh network and RFID tags and Wi-Fi and, and all of the, the, the tech stuff. So that's what got him to all the states and he lands up at the BHP Billiton Science and Engineering Award and he wins that one as at the age of 14. So obviously we're extremely proud of his achievements. But then we didn't know at the time that if you win BHP Billiton, you will end up representing Australia at the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair in the U.S., which is the world's largest pre-college science competition. So roughly about 7 million students take part in various competitions around the world. You know, Out of that, about 1,800 of those land up in the U.S. for about a week. So when we were there you know, accompanying him, uh, he had an extremely good week while we were in the U.S., but we met students from other countries. We met teenagers from the age of 14, 13, 14, all the way up to 17 years old from other parts of the world. And... There were two distinct types of students. There were ones who would say, you know, tell me what about your project, and they would say, oh, I've made this pen, or I've designed this pen. Okay, tell me a bit more about it, and they'll be like, you know, it's you know, it's white and it's got a plastic cap, and you know, you can pull this out and you can write with this, and you know, it's my design, I made it. And there were others who would say, you know, there's a reason why I made this pen, and it was made by using this design philosophy and the design principle and why it was made and how it was made and what got them to make the pen in the first place. 90% was about the why and how and 10% was about actually the pen. And they were the ones who had been mentored by scientists or university or academics or industry. And the first batch was mentored by their school science teacher. So, Nothing wrong with the science teacher, as I was saying earlier. They are the ones who are trying their best to impart that learning to a much wider population. But it was the second batch, and I thought, if this is the smartest gathering in the world of these teenagers in this year, isn't every single child talking like that? When we're missing out globally that we are, you know, we, we, we came are, back we have to Australia, Australia and, you know, The prime minister was talking about the innovation agenda and how a whole generation of scientists we've lost, and I thought there has to be a way to connect these young, uh, impressionable minds to the community and help them, you know, be more excited. So that's how Brainstem was born. And so going back to your question about the value of talking to people who are not just your your teachers but people from the industry is that you learn. You know, ninety percent of our learning is. Informal learning—it's in the environment we are in. It's the the internet, the conversation, the people. Ten percent is textbooks. So if ninety percent is is learning from the world around us, how can we make sure that we create that environment of the circular learning for them, so that they can observe, watch, and then translate the learning from there?
0: And and it's hands-on. It's actually something. I think one of the students made a comment that, you know, so much of. So much of the learning we do is, is quite disconnected. It's it's quite abstract. But what you're talking about is something that's project-based. It's something that they, we need to have a solution or an answer or a problem that gets solved right now. And so it's very focused in that way too. But but my before you explain a bit about that, my I, I guess a, a little criticism, not a criticism, but it's a question, is how if you've only got students working in teams for 12 weeks, does it give you long enough to... Develop those skills to for teachers to develop the relationships and and all those sort of things. What's what are these constraints that you work with in your program?
1: Good question. And in fact, uh, we are at the moment. Uh, in fact, this week is, is is another busy one for us because on Friday is the presentation evening for the fifth Brainstorm Innovation Challenge. That's uh, this Friday, the tenth of November. Um, the reason why the program is twelve weeks now is because when we began back in the uh, in November twenty fifteen the program was four and a half, five weeks, right? And then we realized that it was too short because by the time, uh, you know, the, the, the mentor and the students went through the initial days of courtship where I have never spoken to a scientist before and I don't know, I've never taught year nine students before and how do we explain these ideas to them and we lost two weeks on that. So they really hardly got any time to, to work on it. Then that became eight weeks. That became ten weeks, and we became, we, we finally got it twelve weeks. The reason why it's twelve weeks is because you, you, you touch on a very interesting point about the learning, um, and they, they they learn things while they 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 join the program to learn about STEM and the science and innovation. They learn about getting to meetings on time. They learn about time management. They learn about talking to people who are not your friends, but almost in some ways a stranger. They learn about building a rapport with somebody who is there to impart some sort of knowledge uh, to you. Um, you learn about managing your homework and your school sports and your assignments and something new and exciting. Uh, you start learning how to communicate, recommunicating with your family and explaining to them something which is uniquely different to what you're doing in school and your communication skills develop so all this learning sort of comes along the way so we find that the 12-week program gives them enough uh space to to work on this the other fascinating thing that's come out of that is not every project as a part of the brainstorm innovation challenge is uh is the one that will go through becoming a product and starting a company and becoming entrepreneurs But the ones that do, we are continuing them on that journey. Uh, And they've been examples of uh, teams that have gone and presented at MedTech Scott Talent and landed up in the top 20 across the whole country. Uh, They've gone and spoken at the STEM conference and presented the idea beyond brainstem. So we try and continue the learning for these students well beyond the program, depending on how much they want to take it forward.
0: I was just, as you were saying about the 12 weeks, I was thinking, gee, you know, when people start in a new place of employment, they say it takes one year to learn the job when you actually feel, you know, competent about what you're doing. The first year is learning the job. The second year is starting to feel like you know what you're doing. The third year, you're an expert, you know, so to to even expect something in 12 weeks is quite remarkable, isn't it? But
1: you would be surprised the kind of things these students come up with. Look, even though it's 12 weeks of a program, the actual time they spend with these mentors is anywhere between 18 to 20 hours. So over 12 weeks, it's about 18 to 20 hours of mentoring that happens uh, face to face for each student. Uh, That is often enough to fire up their mind in terms of, is chemistry for me or not? Or is physics for me or not? Am I a science person or do I need to combine science and arts and go into something which is more creative? Those questions are answered. We unlock those sort of thoughts in their mind. Uh, And because there are no assignments, there are no school tests that they have the fear of failing in, then they just, you know, it frees up their creativity in their mind to just go and do something.
0: So so the students themselves, are they... um competitively chosen so they have to apply to get in or do you take a whole cohort of one year level how does that work
1: so we rely on the schools to choose the teachers for us uh, the the students for us what we the, the brief we give the schools is that and and this is where you know i kind of go lean into a bit more of my my time in the in the corporate world and my running my own business and mentoring startups that you know if you draw a sliding scale of uh, from a 0 to 100% of the schools in year 9 year 10 and in and, and their grade systems from the a plus plus students to the you know the d minus and and below the, the, the i would say the top 5% are the a plus plus students they don't need any help all well, you know they, they 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 are the ones who will find their own way okay the bottom 10% are the d minus and and below they need all the help they can get to somehow get by and continue their learning and I think being in a first world country like Australia, despite the criticism we hear generally about how the school system is failing sometimes I think we are doing a reasonably good job of getting these students you know, across the line it's the middle 85% which is, which is where they land up working in jobs in Australia and we want these let's say the B pluses to the D pluses to feel like they are A, A- or an A student, not because uh, they're not, but because maybe they had something in them that, you know, another kid was brighter than them in this class and got the opportunity and they did not, or they at that moment did not have the confidence to put their hand up and, you know, volunteer for something and then lost the opportunity. It's that five-second rule that Mel Robbins talks about. That, you know, the, the inertia uh, or the brain gets the, goes into a comfort zone in a span of five seconds. And if you don't act in those five seconds, the opportunity is gone. And so we want to, so we rely on the teachers to go and find those students for us who they think have the potential to do something amazing, which they can't do in the school system. And we then connect them with scientists, so when they come back, they are the super cool kids because they have invented something, created something, done something amazing. So that's how it's chosen. The competition for us at the moment is that there's a line of students that are waiting to come into the program from every single school. Mm -hmm. Our challenge Mm -hmm. is that we don't have enough mentors to, to host them.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've obviously got some entrepreneurial ideas yourself. Tell me about your background. How did all this start for you as an idea, apart from your son? I guess that was it. But what were you doing before before that?
1: So I, I'm an engineer by qualification and, and engineers love numbers. And so uh, as of now, my, uh, my, uh, um, my, the way I explain what I do is that I live my life in thirds. Uh, the first third pays the bills the second third keeps me excited and the final third makes me smile and that's sort of what I would like to believe is is my balance for now and uh, my wife often tells me is that uh, soon it'll become quarters it'll become fifths because knowing the kind of person you are you'll put your hand up and do something else and so the first that pays the bills you know uh, is, is a health technology consulting business and we work with medical practitioners and you know I began that I started the business about in 2010, so almost seven years back. Prior to that you know um, most Indians we are either playing cricket or we are in IT. Uh, my cricket skills are pretty average so I landed up in IT by default. Uh, I did that for 20 odd years working for different companies. like I said, 2010 uh, started my own company, um, work with GP specialist surgeons. Uh, around cybersecurity, privacy, medical records, data, things like that. So I'm a business person who, um, who's gone through sales and, and simplifying the conversation around technology for clients. And then uh, around 2000, and I was doing that for a few years, and then I was thinking around 2013 that, you know, it's a small business, things are going, okay, what's next for Corazon, which is my company? And that's what got me involved into the startup community. And the whole startup generation was sort of getting fired up in Australia. And I thought, okay, you know, if I go and look at some startups and get some ideas, then that will be the next thing that Corazon does. And so we'll stay ahead of the curve. Didn't realize that I would have so much fun in the startup space and being an entrepreneur that we landed up building the health, digital health community in Melbourne. And so we have monthly meetups. And so I pretty much every month, every week, Get uh, front row seats to some of the most coolest ideas in health and mid-tech uh, in devices and sensors and wearables. So I, when I say it keeps me excited, that's my second third. You know, that's where all the uh, the energy comes from, and um, so that still continues on. And so I mentor startups and uh, work in you know do all those sort of things, and then Brainstem happened purely because of uh, of Drew, my son, um, and uh, I thought that you know, being an entrepreneur, working in the tech space, seeing where the technology is heading, seeing where the innovation is coming from, and we talk about the fourth industrial revolution, we need to prepare these students for what's coming up for them in five, six, eight, ten years' time. And I thought the way we can do that is apply the learnings and experience from the startup community and offer that as a package to these year nine, year 10 students because they are at a place where they're thinking about choosing subjects for VCE or for their school. And, uh, you know, we, we, we went through those challenges with our own son because, you know, he goes to a, a private school. And as parents, you want him to you know, our kids to have the best possible education. And even there, I felt that for a school that focused uh, so strongly on science and uh, hands-on learning, even there, I found gaps of, of how these boys were being connected to what lies ahead for them in the future. And I thought to myself, if that's how the private schools are doing it, what's happening with the public schools? And what's happening with the kids in the low socioeconomic zones? You know, why are they missing out on an opportunity? You know, dad's a trader, mum is an accountant. There's no conversation about science at home. Bang, you lost a scientist. Uh, just because there's no conversation. So I thought that's the final thought that makes me smile is because this is me in some way giving back to the community.
0: Fantastic. You, you've um, touched on a few things there, but one of them is uh, this this idea of the fourth industrial revolution. To explain that idea, um, I want to just mention this film that you recommended, a short film called The Fourth Industrial Revolution by the World Economic Forum. The original industrial revolution was driven by the discovery that you could use steam engines to do all kinds of interesting things.
1: But that was followed by additional revolutions for electricity and computers and communications technology. We're now in the early stages of the fourth industrial revolution, which is bringing together digital, physical and biological systems. One of the features of this fourth industrial revolution is
0: that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. I think it's actually a promotion for them, and yet it's 11 and a half minutes, so it's a long promotion. But, you know, it's fast, it's urgent, well-made, captivating, it's serious but entertaining. Tell me tell me what you liked about this uh, this short film.
1: The reason why I, I like that film is because often when you start talking to people, parents especially, about uh, – I speak in forums about the future of work and the future for our next generation – and it's always hard to explain to the parents about what jobs of the future are going to be. You know, they look at what they see today in the job market and they go, my son or my daughter should become an engineer or a doctor or, uh, or, uh, or an accountant because that's what's going on right now. And then I say to them that what is there right now, these jobs did not, did not exist five years back, six years back. You know, bloggers, programmers, coders, six, seven years back were not there. They are the top jobs right now. By the time your child gets to an employable age, these jobs will not be there. And it's important to understand how the world is moving along. And so when we go through the first, the second, the third revolution, the fourth revolution, which is the coming together of humans, technology, machines, is where the jobs of the future are coming from. This documentary, uh, well, well a, a film, short film, all prepared by the World Economic Forum, and they have this uh, the conference every year, Explains in very simple terms uh, without uh, almost, should I say, or dare I say, without making you feel overwhelmed about how the technology is moving, to make you understand and by humanizing that this is where the world is heading. And it almost opens up your mind um, to the possibility of thinking outside of or thinking in the future that if that's what is happening around the world then we should be preparing for that sooner rather than later
0: it also reminds me of how you know at at my age i'm sort of thinking what am i going to do next and you know oh it's all too hard but you know i was speaking to a young friend of mine he said i couldn't imagine living in a more exciting time you know there's this sort of paradox that we're living in of there's so many opportunities and so many possibilities, but it's really hard. So, And I think that this, this piece particularly goes to the optimism and the pessimism of it all. You know, this, this dichotomy of it's, it's an amazing time that we're living in, isn't it?
1: It is. And also, I think uh, quite often people get challenged by technology, that the machines are taking over, the robots are taking over, we are going to lose our jobs. But if you if you see there are moments in that in that in that film where there's a lady uh, there's a woman who is working in a factory in the US in a car factory, and she breaks it down and she says the machines are there to do things to do things quickly, but then we come and program them and we make sure that the programmer is them properly so that they do their work a lot quicker. We
0: we help the machines almost. We help
1: the machines. <laughs> that's right. And I think that shift in understanding that, uh, you know that machines are not replacing us. Well, some jobs are being replaced, of course. But they, they, you have to find that thing for yourself uh, where you are controlling the machines and not the other way around.
0: Let me move on to another one that you've chosen um, called Dotty. An elderly woman is sitting next to a younger woman in a nursing home. The younger is trying to explain to the older how to use predictive text on a phone handset.
1: Here it is. Good. Oh, it's going to put an F in there.
0: It's okay. No, it's not. No, look, it's it's okay, really. It's what's supposed to happen. Look, it's called... It's called predictive. It predicts what word you want to say.
1: Well, it didn't do a very good job.
0: It predicted if when I want to say hello. But if we keep going, it'll sort itself out. I promise. Uh, it, you know, it's really relatable. It's about the a nurse or someone younger who turns out there's a twist at the end but it's she's trying to explain predictive text i so get this i've so i've been through this with my dad and you know why is this so high you know just slow down let me try and explain it it does a number of things for me this film it's it's so relatable but it it raises the challenge of of good um you know user interface good design making things that are readable for everyone where did you find this film what drew you to it why did you want to share this one
1: So I'm a huge advocate of storytelling. And I think that one thing that we don't really teach um, kids in school is the art of great storytelling. This film, I came across it uh, in my my health tech entrepreneurial travels. And it was an event that I was organizing and it was on age care. Uh, and uh, effective uh, human-centered design in aged care and this film was played and uh, it highlighted the fact that sometimes uh, we by function of the world and the time we live in we make the assumption that technology can solve all the problems and I don't know if I should go and give away the the twist at the end I probably won't but uh, but it really highlights how uh, sometimes the simplest of things can, can if we don't understand it, can, can be the biggest barrier in getting the message across. Uh, the reason why I like uh, Dotty is because the way that story is told is just beautiful. It is human, it is raw, it, is, it touches so many nerves, And even if you take away the whole association of elderly people and living in the HK, because we're all heading that way, we all know that, you know, people are living longer. The way the story is told and takes you on that journey is, I think, it is one of the most beautifully told stories uh, and, and relationship. It shows us patience, it shows us resilience, it shows us compassion, it shows us... Uh, you know, in fact, even the 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 person walking outside on, on the walker to demonstrate <laughs> how time is going by. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, little little things, and it's a it's they are what three actors. That's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: and yeah, it's that mo- that movie. It moves me every single time I watch it.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, the punchline, I think we can give it away. You know, it? it's it turns out to be the daughter. That's what I understood to be. Yeah.
1: It is. It, it is her daughter. And she's yeah. trying to send a message to her daughter uh, <laughs> saying that she's fine. She's obviously got, you know, uh, got uh, Alzheimer's. Mm. And the daughter is taking care of her. And, mm. you know, she spends a good, what, 25 minutes trying to send mm. a message to say hi. And it's the old Nokia and you, start, you unlock the phone and you press the button. But because she's doing it slowly, you know, it resets. And, and after all of that, she sends a message and the, the, the phone in the daughter's handbag, which is lying on the chair right yeah. next to the bed, goes off. And then you go, oh. And, you know, yeah, it's... Yeah, that's very it's, clever. Yeah. It's a very clever movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. So how important... I mean, you know, and that's... I love it when I hear people into science talking about films and talking about art and, and storytelling and all that sort of thing. How, how do you think teachers can do better at, at storytelling, at, um, you know, emotional intelligence in terms of teaching science?
1: I think you... anybody Everybody can tell good stories. Anybody can tell good stories. It's about how you connect with the central message or the theme of what you're talking about is when the story starts to come out. The problem, I think, with storytelling is that if you are, as a teacher, uh, trying to teach to a class, it can sometimes be, let me pause that answer and I'll come back to it. If you, for example, read a book and then you go and watch the movie of the book, the way, more often than not, you would walk out of the cinema feeling a little bit incomplete, that it wasn't up to the mark, or it was, it didn't sort of get me as the book got me. That's because the movie was made by the director or the by the director and their interpretation of the story. So when you are you 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 read a story based on what resonates with you. I mean, uh, one of my my favorite all time books is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho and uh, I've read that about 20 times and every time I read it uh, depending on what's happening in my life at the time I associate myself with a different character in the book you know Uh, so going back to your question about how can teachers tell better stories or teach their students to tell better stories I think it's about giving them more experiences to explore the world around them and then the students will tell their own stories but for that you need time, you need the elasticity of time around you and not be burdened by or challenged by the assignments and the tasks and the yard duties and the sports duties and everything else that comes along with that and the the mountain of multitasking. Uh, so, you know, there's no short, uh, quick, easy answer for that. It's just that, you know, it's giving more more uh, experiences.
0: Let me move on to another one that you've chosen called blood from the sky. Historically, blood delivery in the East African country has
1: been plagued by long delays due to bad roads and the remoteness of many health facilities. The consequences are often tragic for patients in need of transfusions, including mothers giving birth, individuals undergoing surgery, and young victims of malaria. But Zipline's fleet of drones, which travel up to 100 kilometers per hour, can service more than half of Rwanda's district hospitals from a single launch site within 45 minutes of an order being placed. Thrust into the air by a system of bungee pulleys, the zips follow a pre-programmed
0: route using real-time kinetic satellite navigation. Um, again this is a, 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 a it felt slightly promotional but not overly so because it had some some questioning about what they were doing but blood from the sky is a a high tech solution in a developing to a developing world problem um and and what were they doing they were basically firing these drones into the air with little blood packages that could get to um remote villages faster than any ambulance or, you know, because the roads were so bad and this sort of thing. So to me is is a lovely example of technology being used in a way that helps people in, in difficult situations. A really inspiring story. What what did you like about this?
1: It is an incredible story and, and yes it's it's the video of the, the company. But the story behind that story is that uh, I think it's in Rwanda, uh, in the African nation. Uh, people were dying purely because they couldn't. They, the The health system could not get crucial, life saving medication, blood to those people. The patients would travel a day, a day and a half, just to get to a medical center, um, and. Make the trip back, and by the time they were halfway back, you know they passed away. The the country had a database of death of uh, of names of people on the system who they knew were would possibly die because the uh, the medication would not get to them on time. Compounded that by the fact that the the terrain is hilly. Uh, the roads are not made, the river, when it rains, the roads get flooded, there are no bridges in place. So even if you did have a a vehicle to transport the equipment there or the machines there, you could not get it on time. So these guys, what they did was they essentially set up a system where they had this big aircraft drone style thing with a small container in it and you put uh, uh, a pouch of blood in it. And you shoot it off to the sky and it flies as a crow flies straight line of sight. I think to a radius of about 70 kilometers. Does a round trip, comes back and it drops off the parachute. So within 20 minutes, blood is delivered to uh, the medical center. The reason why I like that story is because it shows you that when you, when you find something that moves you and you know you can have an impact you will find means and ways to solve that problem, and the jobs of the future are not going to be about how much you know, or what all do you know. It's about how are you going to use the knowledge that you have to have an impact on the society. So you know, we used to hire for ha- we used to hire for hand the first sort of uh, revolution. The second was hire for head or, or, or how much you knew, and I think employers in the future are going to be hiring for heart in terms of what can you do with the skills that you have and this is, is a great example of you know they didn't go to uh, um, to the US or to Australia or to New Zealand they went to an African nation where they know that the help and the impact will be significant now they're obviously doing well and the UPS has partnered with them and they're, they're, the company is growing extremely well. But it all began with a very, very simple idea of getting something to somebody in the shortest possible time who needs it the most. Mm-hmm.
0: It's uh, it's inspiring for uh, you know a faith in humanity to actually do do good and and to to do some great things. That's it was a lovely story, that's for sure. Um, you, you mentioned jokingly before, you know, everyone should have one idea about world domination, and uh, it's, <laughs> it sounds like you know I was reading something earlier this morning about. Competition—it's undeniable that the world is competitive, so we should just get with the program and be competitive as well. But it sounds like the work that you're um, doing—you know, even your entrepreneurial um, efforts—have an element of compassion and thought for other people in it. So uh, I was interested in in the last one that you've uh, recommended. You've you've suggested four short films. This is called "Get Service."
1: Yeah, great. Great for me. When again. Unbelievable.
0: Now yeah, it's a little it was a little bit dated, a little bit clunky in its acting, but, but I thought the message of it was very uh, really spot on. You know, if we could actually understand what other people were really thinking we would view the world and the people around us in quite a different way and and I when I started watching this I thought oh it's one of those 3D glasses thing you know that or the you know what do they call it uh, augmented reality yeah, where you yeah. look around and you see but actually it was a lot more uh, it's a story about seeing what other people are really going through so yeah. tell, tell me about what drew you to this
1: Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, you know, (laughs) I was I was tossing between Dotty and and this one. You're right; it's a bit grainy. It's a little bit cheesy in terms of the way the whole film is made. But I think uh, you know, and I sort of uh, watch it very lightly. But the point that movie is trying to, the film is trying to get across, is that we are often very quick to judge people on our own perceptions, and we really seek to understand and if we if we stepped up to understand people a little bit more then things will be so much nicer uh if we if we stepped up to ask a question instead of uh, uh, expecting a response it'll be so much nicer and better um we all have tremendous amount of value within us that we can offer to other people. We just don't know how to uh, how to give it. And uh, of course, you know, I mean, will I, you know, if I'm walking down the street and I see a lady walking with her head down, would I just randomly go up to her and say, are you okay? Do you need any help? Probably not. And, oh, and, I, and I don't need to see a thought bubble above her head to say, you know, she's just lost her job this morning and she doesn't know how to pay her bills. Probably not. But I think, you know, there will be situations where you will be faced with, a, with the possibility of you know maybe uh, helping somebody. I'll give you an example. A couple of days back, I was uh, I was in the city in in, in the CBD in Melbourne, and um, I was waiting to take the tram from Flinders Street to go I think four or five stops up the road. And that day, I was the tram 70 or 75 came by, and then right behind that was the brown tourist city circle tram. And I chose to go in the brown one because, you know, it's free tram zone anyways. But I chose to go in the, in the free tram zone, and I do that often. Not because I, I have, uh, uh, you know, nothing else to do, but you often listen to, because in, the, in that brown tram are the tourists.
0: There's more tourists, yes.
1: <laughs> you hear the conversations, and sometimes you'll see them looking at a map and going, should we go here or should we go there or whatever and i cracked up a conversation with some with with a lovely couple who were there from from birmingham there was a cruise ship that had come down here and they were just spending the whole day in melbourne for the next i actually went past three three stops past my actual stop because we were so having a lot of fun talking to them but i told them about five things to do in melbourne in the next 45 minutes uh, and they they thanked me and hopefully they had a good day in melbourne but if you do not go out and talk to other people uh uh, and see how you can help them. You know, you will never get that happy feeling that you are doing something nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's a fine example for all of us. I think I have to uh, jump on one of those. It is, it's as you say, it's interesting, but it's also fulfilling, isn't it? When you're uh, when you're engaging with people who who have something that they need, and you can you can supply that need, and you can help them along the way. Absolutely, yeah. it doesn't cost yeah. anything. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, do you, just out of interest? Do you do you ever use in your talks and presentations? Do you ever use videos and short films in, in what you what you do? I, uh,
1: I yes, I do. I I have used videos in the past. Uh, I I have a habit of collecting photos that I that grab my attention. Um, In fact, I I do a series of presentations for corporates, which is called the Startup Mindset in a Large Enterprise. And that's really presenting to um, old school corporates about what is happening in the startup world and how people are doing things differently. I think visual um, communication has such a significant impact on, 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 on all of us. That you can get the message across um, far more effectively than just pure texts. Definitely, yeah.
0: and and as we sort of wrap up, there's there's lots of things you've talked about, and and. Um so many levels of inspiration you're providing me with. It's great. But is is there any other things that you would like to say? Given that a lot of people listening to this are, are probably teachers, um, is there any anything else that you would like to say to teachers, either either from the work that you're doing or just general advice about um, making a better educational future for our students?
1: I, I'll speak from a from a brainstem point of view and a personal point of view, and there are two or three things that are really grabbing my attention at the moment. Um, the first one is is building a better future for, for girls. Uh, and I say that with genuine intent because, so uh, my view is that, you know, the world is half men, half women, 50-50. Brainstorm is a program, you know, not by design, but by default, we've had over 50% of the students are girls. Uh, over 60% are from public schools or lower socioeconomic schools. Um, and what we found is that the the level of engagement and participation and interest and enthusiasm that we see from girls uh, and from students from uh, public or lower socioeconomic schools is just remarkable because they get to see an environment that they have never seen before of working with scientists at universities. And they, they genuinely value that. So I encourage teachers to find means and ways of trying to get the students out of the classroom environment and presenting them with opportunities, even if it's, they don't have to come to Brainstorm, you know, as much as I, I was, I would love for every single student to come to Brainstorm and, and help us achieve that world domination dream. Um, I would strongly encourage every teacher to, even if it's for half an hour or 20 minutes, talk to these students about, you know, if you play the guitar, uh, go to a local aged care facility and spend 20 minutes playing your favorite song to elderly people. You know, if, you, if, if gardening is your thing, go out to the local community garden and spend 20 minutes in, in talking to five people and telling them your, the new technique of, you know, watering plants or whatever. You will learn so much more as a young adult, and the impact it'll have on you—it's—it's it's remarkable. Personally, you know, I think that, um, you know, I—I'm excited about the future because from a, from, you know, we are—we are launching a whole host of new programs. We're launching a Bright Stars program for students who are. 10 to 12 years old, where you have an idea and you go through a 12-week uh, program to take your, your paper napkin idea into some sort of a design. Uh, we are we are connecting international students to come to Australia and work with scientists and take them through the whole design philosophy of human-centered design. Uh, we have this, you know, if our idea wasn't big enough, we have this dream of uh, reaching 500 schoolgirls in the next two years. Uh through the Brainstem Program. So, if you have, if you are a parent who is watching this video or a teacher, send them to us because we know we we know that when we connect these students, these fresh minds with scientists, amazing things happen. So, uh, you know, and I'm insanely optimistic about the future that we know we are living the best possible time we ever can, and it's for us to go and grab it.
0: Mm-hmm. fantastic. where Where can people you you said you speak to startups and you speak to larger organizations about the startup mindset, uh, those sort of things. What are the speaking opportunities to or what what speaking opportunities do you get where the general public or people can hear you
1: talk? So um, I uh, like I said in, the, in, in in the digital health space, we run this the monthly meetups on on health tech. So the, the group is called Peak 15, like the mountain peak, Peak 15 Health Tech. It's a health tech mentoring and commercialization network. So we help every member of our community to get to their Peak 15. Peak 15, by the way, when the when the Britishers were serving the Himalayas, every mountain peak was called Peak 1, Peak 2, Peak 3. And the highest one was called Peak 15. So uh, the groups, uh, the, the vision is to help every community member get to their Peak 15, whatever it might be uh so i i do that on a monthly basis i'm a guest lecturer at the university of melbourne so uh, in their masters in health it program and they talk about cloud technology and security um and brainstem, i mean apart from that you know uh, there'll be probably be stem conferences education conferences where i would be presenting um, so there's no set schedule but it just things just pop up uh but yeah, otherwise, you know, come on to the Brainstorm presentation evenings and uh, it's it's family, friends and community.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Do you, uh, and I'll probably won't use this, but um, do you, did you come across or you're aware of the new uh, tech schools that the, the Victorian government is setting up? And have you had anything to do with those and what, what's your general opinion about about those?
1: I have. Uh, I think it's it's a great idea. In fact, I was involved with some of the early conversations when the tech schools were being set up. I have gone and visited a couple of them, and I think uh, each one of them serves an incre- incredibly uh, useful purpose. I-, I kind of see what the tech schools are doing something along the lines of what BrainSTEM is doing, in the sense that it gets the students out of the school and gives them this really fancy lab or engineering facility or the te- or technology facility. Um, but then each one of them has their own area of expertise yeah. based on where they are located. <coughs> yeah. So well, the one,
0: one, yeah. Yeah, the, sorry, the, the one down in Casey I was thinking has got a particular health focus from memory. I think that's, yep. yeah. Um, so, I mean, is that in in some ways that could be a competition, I guess, for what you guys are doing? Although I guess you're broad-based and you're in different regions, aren't you?
1: It, it is. I don't see them as competition at all. In fact, what I see is that... Uh, they first of all, most of the tech schools are aligned with the school's academic um, program curriculum, so students get out there and, and do a, a part of the work uh, and again each like I said, each facility is built around a certain area of expertise whereas brainstem is is limited only by the collection of mentors that we get in the program so we we get people from Aeronautical engineering to uh, robotics to wearable devices to sensors to biomedical engineers to mathematicians to clinicians to people working in the industry, which is your outside real work uh, environment. So depending on what your area of interest is as a student, there's a very likely chance that we will find that mentor for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've just used your network to build. So you've got people that plug in from universities, from industry. Like, where do you get these people? What are the hardest groups of people to to draw into Brainstem?
1: Um, at the moment, the uh, we need more mentors. We need more mentors from universities. Uh, we need PhDs. We need lecturers. We need academics. Uh, uh, Swinburne has been uh, a huge supporter of the BrainSTEM program. Uh, we, we ran our first innovation challenge at Swinburne, and, uh, and I commend the support they've given us. I, I'm genuinely grateful for that. The program has now grown to Melbourne. Uh, we've had mentors in Monash, uh, the Florey Institute. Um, and so, but each one of these universities, these centers of excellence, as I call them, or the BrainSTEM hosts, as I call them, have got a wealth of academics, and it only needs very little contribution of their time to have an impact on these young minds. So yeah, we need momentum. But I've been largely leaning on uh, our network, or my network, uh, industry contacts, and we speak at conferences, and then someone refers them to brainstem. So it's been growing organically, but I think we are now ready for an explosive growth. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so the business model is so who, who pays for it how, how does it fund itself
1: blood, sweat and tears mate <laughs> the, the brainstem program is, is completely free for the students they do not have to pay anything all they have to do is, uh, is uh, uh, travel from the school to the, to the university or to their host um, brainstem host organisation um, down the track when we are able to secure some government funding which we are hoping we will get uh, we might be able to uh, somehow take care of that cost as well. From a from a university point of view, because I believe that uh, this ticks the box for the community engage, engagement for the mentors, uh, that sort of is taken care of. Um, there's a bit of business involved in this. So from a university's point of view, these students are future students of the university. Uh, so obviously they want them to come to us. Um, we are we are launching other programs uh, in brainstem to which are going to raise revenue for us. So then we will then be able to take care of the other expenses for the not-for-profit.
0: Mm-hmm. And your other two-thirds of your life takes care of it for you.
1: <laughs> the other two-thirds of, of my life uh, takes care of it. That's right.
0: <laughs> and somewhere along the way, you sleep as well. Oh, Fabulous. Sleep-
1: Sleepers, yeah, sleep is <laughs> <important>. overrated. <laughs> okay,
0: very good. Was there anything else? Did you make any notes that you wanted to share? I didn't give you an opportunity to uh, to to share with me because you've, you've told me a lot of things. That's great. Was there anything? No, I mean,
1: else? I, I hope I was able to answer all your questions, and I think uh, yeah. you know you you, you you covered pretty much all of it. Um, mm-hmm. all I, I mean, in closing, all I would like to say is that you know we we owe it to our future generations, to, uh, to create a much better world for them. And, uh, you know, I like the saying that, you know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. And the journey is long and we all have to come together, teachers, parents, um, people like Brainstem, you know, people like yourself to collectively build an environment so that our future generations are able to really accelerate and make a significant impact. We are here. We have to We owe it to them to help them. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you, Sid. You've given me much inspiration to go into my week with, and uh, I wish you all the best with, with the work that you're doing with Brainstem. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Find all the film links and related notes in the description and look out for the edited highlights of this discussion on YouTube. This show is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.